you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 1 Corinthians 13 If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, when, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now, there are three th- uh, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. This is the word of Lord. Well, uh, once again, look, thank you for having me with you. I love uh, the church here in Brisbane. I love you guys. And from afar, just seeing what God is doing in your midst and seeing you all gathered here this morning to um, not just to engage in a topic and hear a a lecture. I really hope that's not what's going to happen, but to come Uh, before the living God who made the heavens and the earth, the living God who uh, created us and wants to know us and and wants to um, draw us deeper into relationship with Him, wants us to love Him with all of our hearts and souls and strength and our minds. And so this morning, as as you're here and we're here together, I'm going to invite... um, for all of us, the, the presence of God's Holy Spirit through His Word to apply these things to our hearts and help us to engage with an issue that's difficult, as all of these have been. So would you pray with me and for me? I'd love that as we wait on God together. Let's do that now. Um, Father God, we, we come to you this morning and we invite your presence. Uh, whether we've come into this place uh, reluctantly or we've come, we don't know how we're here or how we got here this morning or whether we're deeply committed to you, Wherever we come this morning, we come before you humbly. We, we humble ourselves. We pray that you would open the, the ears of our hearts, if you like, the eyes of our hearts, 
that we might experience you more through your word. Help us um, to wrestle with our minds with some of these issues. But Lord, use this time to grow us more into the image and the likeness of Jesus, who is love, as we just heard. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you be doing your work in our midst in these next moments and the rest of the time we have together. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, um, I've got a slide here, and I don't know if many of you will remember this particular moment. Hopefully I have a slide. There it is. Uh, Does anyone remember that ad? Uh, Some of you do. Uh, it, was, it took place in 2017, uh, so a long time ago now, um, and the Bible Society of Australia decided to team up with Cooper's Beer to do an ad, which they, they called, as you can see, Keeping It Light. And the plan for this ad was to bring two people together from different ends. Um, one of them is Andrew Hasty, uh, who continues to be a federal member in Western Australia, and the other one is Tim Wilson, both of whom uh, he was a federal member in Victoria, both of them in the Liberal Party, bring them together, get them to talk seriously about an issue on which they disagreed, being the issue of same-sex marriage, what could go wrong? Well, as it turned out, plenty. Uh, So this ad screened, and it seems pretty harmless in one sense, but it created a furor. There was a huge media backlash, especially against um, Tim Wilson, who who happens to be a a gay guy. And he was saying, you've betrayed the cause. How dare you go into a debate about this issue? But it was massive for Cooper's Beer. Their pubs pubs boycotted them. People graffitied their advertising. It was a massive issue. And in the end, um, you can see, I I think we've got a couple more images of what happened. In the end, you can see it was, it was all around the nation. In the end, there was this really awkward moment where the CEOs of Cooper's, which is actually a Christian-owned company, um, made this formal apology uh, for having this ad with the Bible Society. Now, that moment in 2017, it, the, 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 it became very, very clear. Uh, dissenting views around the issue of homosexuality would now not be tolerated, no matter how graciously they were put. And any who refused to comply with the new order would be punished. Uh, We call this, and you heard in the Vox Pop videos before, we've come to call this, and we all know, I think, this term, cancel culture. Um, Cancel culture can be defined as the popular practice of withdrawing support for or cancelling public figures and companies after they've done or said something now considered objectionable or offensive. Cancel culture was applied to Cooper's and that ad with the Bible Society. And I start with that because cancel culture is arguably the greatest threat to free speech that we currently experience in the West. So, um, when we look at cancel culture, it's important to note, though, this is not just a Christian issue. Christians sometimes, like that ad, have been subject to cancel culture. And uh, those of you on the online forums will know that's very much true. But it's not only Christians. So, uh, this lady here, it's not just about same-sex marriage, this lady here... uh, who knows who this is? Yes. 
J.K. Rowling, it is J.K. Rowling. Now, J.K. Rowling is, of course, um, the author of the Harry Potter series, immensely wealthy woman. Uh, J.K. Rowling is a very public proponent of same-sex marriage as, as a good thing, um, but recently, she did something, or in 2017, actually, it's not really that recent anymore, but she did something that I would do, like in my generation, right? She tried to take a screenshot of a Twitter post about um, a trans issue, and she accidentally liked it instead of taking the, the screenshot. I would so do that. And this is what she said after she accidentally did that. That single accidental like was deemed evidence of wrong think, and a persistent low level of harassment began, she said. But... This is what she wrote last year. Over the last few years, I've watched appalled as many, many women have been subject to campaigns of intimidation, which range from being hounded on social media, the targeting of their employers, all the way up to doxing and direct threats of violence, including rape. Wow. None of these women are protected in the way that I am. They and their families have been put into a state of fear and distress for no other reason than they refuse to uncritically accept the socio-political concept of gender identity should replace that of sex. She's talking about being cancelled for having a different opinion on transgender issues. That's J.K. Rowling. She's not a Christian. But can you have a favourite victim of cancel culture? I don't know if that's politically correct. I do have a favourite, I'm going to be honest with you. And his name is none other than Richard Dawkins. Has anyone heard of Richard Dawkins? Yes, a lot of us have. If you've been a Christian and you've been around like 20 or 30 years as a Christian, you'll, you'll know Richard Dawkins. He's like, he's like the, you know, the, the Lord of the Sith of, uh, of, of anti-Christian stuff. So, for example, um, this, is, this is pretty classic Richard Dawkins, and uh, this is one, from one of his books. He says this, the God, I've got to take a big breath. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Come on, Richard, say what you really think about Christians and their God. Well, well uh, in 1997, uh, 1996 actually, for comments like this, Richard Dawkins was awarded the American Humanist Society of the Year Award. He got lots of awards for saying stuff like that. Last year, it was stripped away from him. He was cancelled. Uh, why was Richard Dawkins cancelled? For this remark. Is trans woman a woman? Purely semantic. If you divine by chromosomes, no. If by self-identification, yes. I call her she out of courtesy. For that, Richard Dawkins had the award stripped from him. He was cancelled. Now, I, I use these examples to say that this is a big issue. It's not just a Christian issue, and it's a big issue. It's a big issue in our society. And this morning, we come at it from a distinctly Christian perspective. You haven't realised you thought you'd showed up for a movie here this morning. You're, you're in the right place, right? Uh, but we are a Christian church. Most of us are Christians. We're wanting to know um, what what the Bible, how we as Christians relate to this. If you're not a Christian, so great that you're with us. I really hope that, that you know, this morning will be helpful for you. Um, but as Christians, how do we respond? What does the Bible teach us? Um, what is, how do we navigate these really complicated and difficult waters? So I think there's a couple of things, but before I, uh, quite a lot of things actually, but before I get to the Bible and we look specifically Christians, I, um, I want to, I think out of Christian charity, 
and out of curiosity, I think that we need to understand the arguments in favour of cancel culture. So, you know, why are people proposing, like, why are they pushing this? Because there's obviously reasons. What are they? And I want to treat these reasons as fairly as I can. So let's look at some arguments why you might be in favour of the restriction of free speech and in favour of cancel culture. Um, before we do that, what is free speech? Well, free speech can be defined as the right to express, publish and receive information, opinions and other communications without interference from any source. Uh, it's, it's in the Declaration of UN or the UN Declaration of Human Rights the freedom of speech is listed as a human right. Now, those who promote and enforce cancel culture will generally agree with the principle of free speech as being a human right. But they will insist that it's never been an absolute right. Freedom of speech has never been an absolute human right. For example, and this is a sermon illustration, please don't uh, respond to this. If I was to yell in a crowded theatre like this, fire! Do I have the right to do that? To use my free speech? Actually, I don't. That's been a criminal offence for a long time. I flew up yesterday on the plane, and, uh, and let's think I just had to say, how about I just yell out, bomb? You know, because I've got free speech, I can say what I want. It's not going to go down well. And, um, and proponents of cancel culture would say, and it's always been like that. Governments, especially in times of war, have always limited free speech for a bigger goal of defending society. And proponents of cancel culture say, that, say that's exactly the problem with the Cooper's ad. Because that's like shouting bomb in an airport or fire in a crowded theatre. To show the Cooper's ad is to suggest that homosexuality may be morally problematic is to cause harm and damage to vulnerable people who already feel oppressed and, and in many cases, perhaps even suicidal. So it's like J.K. Rowling and, and um, Hitchens, uh, not Hitchens, <laughs> Dawkins' comments. They'd be gutting for a trans person. So they would say, here's, here's the problem. Too often free speech is used, proponents of cancel culture would say, it's a cover for bigotry and discrimination. And that's not a good thing. And what is required um, in a modern society is not just the right to be protected from harm caused by violent speech, but the harm that's caused by hurtful or hateful speech. So this is actually um, the reason that was given for the laws that came into effect in Victoria in February of this year. And as I, as I understand it, Queensland, I think up here you're, you're considering similar laws. But in Victoria, um, Victoria passed probably some of the most, I think maybe the most restrictive laws on free speech in the Western world related specifically to sexuality. And uh, in Victoria, as of February, um, this situation, which, which occurs quite often, let's, let's, I'll give you a hypothetical situation. There's a husband who's married to a wife, he's got four kids, and after the service, in, I'm preaching in Geelong, and he comes up and he says to me, would you pray for me? I said, why, mate? What's up? And he goes, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction, but I'm married and I've got four kids. Would you pray that God would give me the strength to resist that temptation and to stay loyal to my wife? If I pray as he asked me to pray, that is a criminal offence. 
Uh, for that prayer, and I'm not exaggerating, you look up the law yourself. For that prayer, consensually, in fact, requested by the person, if I pray that prayer, I can go to prison and have very large um, fines levied against me. Now, those proponents of, of, say, of um, cancel culture or the restriction of freedom of speech would say, Yes, we know that, in fact, I wrote to the government and they responded to, yes, we know that this is infringing on free speech and freedom of religion as well. But what we are doing by promoting a safe society is worth those restrictions on free speech. Just like in wartime, censorship can save lives. Uh, Cancelling culture or, or refusing those kind of harmful prayers can also save lives and prevent suicides. Now, I've tried to present those arguments for cancel culture as clearly as I can and as fairly as I can. But there's, as you might have guessed, I don't, I'm not convinced by them. I think they have very big problems and I think they have big problems from Scripture. But before we get there, there's, there's a couple of, there's three reasons actually why I think even if you're not a Christian, um, you should be concerned about cancel culture and the restrictions on free speech. Number one, um, and this is, this is a big one, free speech... Uh, in your voting, you guys voted, many of you voted for these what topics we would look at. Free speech came in, I think, at number three, it might have been number two, uh, in terms of the popularity. It was high up there. It probably should have been at number one. And the reason is that free speech impacts our ability to deal with all of the other issues. And, and I'll explain why. So, so in a democracy like ours... Parliament should function not just as a place where you pass the legislation, it's, a, you know, it's just a rubber stamp. There should be genuine debate from different perspectives, which hopefully is robust enough that you, when you arrive at a decision, it's the best decision for everybody or for society as a whole. Cancel culture and limiting free speech actually impacts this ability in a big way. Um, so let me give you an example. If you were buying a car, right, I had to do this recently for my son, it's a big, big, big financial investment. If you're buying a car, you could go to the websites with the reviews of the car and filter out only, or you could say, I only want to see positive reviews of the car, right? Don't give me the negative ones, only the positive ones. You could read all these positive reviews for the car that you think you're going to buy, and you buy the car and you go, yeah, I feel so good about the purchase of the car, but by not seeing the negative reviews you put yourself in a situation where you drive that car down the road and you may come to regret your decision. And that is actually what cancel culture does with the political process. It says that you can no longer debate things freely because you might harm or hurt somebody, but what that actually does often is it harms and hurts somebody. So I'll give you an example. Transgender is, you know, is one of the hot ones. In, in Victoria, the same bill that limits um, my ability to pray for someone who's struggling with same-sex also limits the abilities of doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and others to be able to counsel someone, like a teenage girl, let's say, who's struggling with, with gender dysphoria. In the past, if you were struggling with gender dysphoria in Victoria, you'd go to the, the psychologist and the psychologist would say, all right, we need to try and fit your mind with your, the biological reality of your body. So we're going to help you, you're a woman biologically, so we're going to help you uh, try and accept that identity. Now, 
they cannot do that. It is illegal for them to do that. So a 17-year-old girl, 16-year-old girl comes and says, look, I feel like I'm I'm a, a man trapped in a woman's body. I want to become a man. They are not allowed under the law to suggest anything that might push you away from wanting to go with that decision because they're worried that it'll, it'll cause grief if your transgender identity is, is challenged. But that is not good. Uh, so, for example, um, there's a web, there's a YouTube site, which I, uh, they're not, it's not a Christian site, but they are tragic. It's, it's talking about um, people that have transitioned and then detransitioned, and it's their stories, and it, it is terrible. So I'll, I'll give you one example, Carrie. Um, Carrie, uh, when she was 17-year-old, transitioned from being a, a female to a male, and when she was 22, she detransitioned. And this, this is her story. You can find this online if you want to see for yourself. She says this. This is a direct quote. I want to ask you, how many other medical conditions are there where you can walk into the doctor's office, tell them that you have a certain condition which has no objective test, which can be caused by trauma or mental health issues or societal factors, and receive life-altering medications on your say-so? And she goes on to say this, and this is the real outcome of my transition. I'm a real live 22-year-old woman with a scarred chest and a broken voice and a five o'clock shadow because I couldn't face the idea of growing up to be a woman. That is my reality. Did cancel culture prevent Carrie from harm? Would it have been better for her to hear the alternative side of, of this issue before she made such an incredibly big decision that is irreversible. First problem. Second problem. I, I did political science at uni and at, um, and at undergrad and postgrad. There's a problem here. Cancel culture is a real problem for political freedom. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, we have always delegated to governments or at least in, in modern history, uh, power to protect life and liberty and property. We said to government, okay, th- those are things that you protect for us so we can all flourish together as a society. Now, the state is saying, yes, we take life, liberty and property, but we also need to protect people's feelings from getting hurt. You go, well, that's a good thing. We don't want people's hurt feelings but politically, this is a real problem. Um, it's at the heart of the suppression bill in Victoria and the, and the legislation, which I think is coming your way up here. It can sound good and noble, but in the same way that communism since that could sound good and noble last century. Uh, proponents of communists said, like, you know, right now you guys might not want communism, but we know what's best for you. And so we're going to implement that. And if you disagree, we'll send you to the gulag and one day you'll thank us. Cancel culture can begin to limit political freedom because it says that we've got to stop your feelings getting hurt. And this politically in terms of freedom is dangerous because free speech is one of the best defences that we have of the ability to live in a free society. And you say, well, of course, we're always going to live in a free society. No, you won't. You know, this, what we enjoy now is a political aberration historically. The freedom that we enjoy, it's not to be taken for granted. And, and you say, Andrew, we're hardly at communism. Like, come on. Even in Victoria, you're not yet at communism. You know, and, and I agree. 
But when you, when you start limiting free speech and you allow cancel culture free reign, you hop on the train. You're not at the end destination yet, but you're on the train and there are political, very serious political implications for in freedom of speech, but also freedom in general. Second problem. Third problem, cancel culture destroys what it actually claims to promote, which is diversity. People in democracy hold differing views because, you know what, we're different. We don't always agree. Sometimes we, we seriously disagree. Happens within the church as well, doesn't it? People are different. They have different opinions about different things. But if we respect, restrict free speech and we cancel the ability to hold opinions that are now considered to be outside the common good, what we end up with actually is a diversity that's just hollow. Really, it's just a cover for uniformity. Um, someone sent me a cartoon uh, recently. It's not bad. Uh, I think we've got it here. If you, you'll see what I mean when you... Uh, uh, not that one. I always had a quote from George Orwell. No, uh, didn't do it. A uh, couple forward. That one. I don't know where it came from. Uh, as you can see, someone sent me a text. But it makes a point. Cancel culture actually results not in true diversity, but in uniformity, an implacable desire for uniformity. All right. So that's some reasons I think we should be suspicious of cancel culture, whether or not we are Christians. But what I want to, want to drill in now in the time that we have left is a specific Christian response. And for that, we've got to go to the Scriptures. So, so what is a Christian view of free speech? What do we find in the Bible? What did Jesus teach? Let's begin at the very, very beginning in Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. At the very beginning, God in his speech creates. Speech is a very important thing. God creates humanity through speech too. And then he gives human beings, you and I, speech. Genesis 2.19, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Speech is a good and beautiful gift to us as humans from God. If you think about it, it is one of the things that marks us as different to the rest of creation. Yes, you say parrots can speak too. Yes, but not in the same way. Only humans have truly free speech. But you might have gathered, I'm sure you have, that we don't live in the world of Genesis 1 and 2. We, we live in the world of Genesis chapter 3, which if you read the Bible, you'll see that that's when it all comes unstuck. And it's very interesting to see that speech is so critical, not only to the creation in the beautiful world that God created, but into the fall as well. Genesis 3.1, And the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? No. Speech is, is at the heart of the fall. And if you read through those chapters of Genesis, you'll see that, that once speech is corrupted, you, you see the first thing that Adam and Eve start doing is accusing each other. The speech that was once free now becomes wounding and demeaning. But in the Scripture, this is the big overview of the Bible's response to speech, God is not content to leave you and I in this situation where speech has been turned for evil and is used for evil and is corrupting and degrading. John 1, 1. Beautiful start to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word 
was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew 4, 23, and Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The Word, Jesus Christ, one with God, comes into the world with speech that sets people free. Jesus says, if you know the truth, it'll set you free. And how does the truth come? It comes through words. And Genesis, uh, Matt, sorry, um, Acts 5.20, after Jesus' death and resurrection, an angel commands the apostles and says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The Bible has a huge emphasis on speech. And as I want to look now with you, as we wind up, I want to look at four reasons or four particular ways that we as Christians can respond, or if you're not a Christian, you can hopefully see how Christians should respond to this issue of free speech. Four things. First, because of the Bible's emphasis on speech, because of the Bible's emphasis that you and I are created in the image of God, all of us, whether or not we're Christians, we're still created in God's image Christians should advocate for everyone's ability to speak freely. Christians should be advocates of free speech, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. Uh, David Mitchell says this, he says, God created humans in his image and he gave us, unique among earthly creatures, the godlike capabilities of rational thought and speech and the freedom to employ them. Honouring the image of God in fellow humans must include honouring these capabilities and this corresponding freedom. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you've got nothing to fear from free speech, especially in relation to your faith. Uh, John Dixon uh, once described, he said, imagine if you went to, someone told you, come and see the most amazing work of art ever done, ever, ever. This is the best ever. And you walked in, you can't, can't wait to see this work of art. And it was in a gallery with thousands of other pictures. And you walked in and the big spotlight was only on this amazing work of art and everything else was in darkness. John Dixon said, would, would you be suspicious about this amazing work of art? Wouldn't you go put the light on all of them? If it's really that good, it'll stand out on its own. You don't have to black out everything else just so you can have your amazing... And that is a little bit like what the gospel of Jesus is. Christians have not got anything to fear from rival viewpoints as, as they're expressed within the world because the gospel of Jesus will stand on its own. It doesn't need us to blank out everybody else. Um, when I first preached this sermon in Geelong, someone came up after the first service and said, did you hear that they've, they've killed Selman Rushdie? Um, the news was just breaking. Selman Rushdie was, a, was an author who criticised the Islamic faith. And for that, they put out a fatwa and he was, he, was on a, he was on death watch. People were trying to kill him all around the world, have been for decades. Someone nearly succeeded. I think he survived. But Christians, we don't need to do that. Our God stands in his own light. Secondly, and here's an important qualification. This is actually probably one of the major points I want you to take away today. Absolute freedom of speech may be a legal and a moral right, it cannot be a moral right for Christians. Absolute freedom of speech may be a legal and a political right, it cannot be a moral right for Christians. 
This is because there can never be a moral right to do wrong. So the tongue, as James writes, James 3, is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James says, your tongue and my tongue is a restless evil. It's like a spark that sets a forest ablaze. He, he goes into great detail about the dangers of the tongue. And in the New Testament and the Bible as a whole, it says, you have not got the right to slander someone. You have not got the right. The Bible speaks about people that are divisive within the church. They backstab, they lie, they cause divisions. And the Bible says, warn them once, twice, third time, tell them you're out of here, guys. Your speech matters. You have not got a moral right to do wrong with your tongue. The Bible also commands us as a church that, uh, that heretical speech, speech that speaks of lies about God, is not acceptable. You say, Andrew, you, just, you said Richard Dawkins could say what he, what he liked. Absolutely, Richard Dawkins is not a Christian. I would not say the same thing, and the Bible does not say the same thing about people who are Christians. We have not got the moral right to say what is wrong about God within the church, especially if we've got a leader in the church. If I said things that were not true about God, I think it would be probably Zach, or my, two guys with beards at least, uh, would, Steve might join it as well, <laughs> would come and drag me off. And you should, because I have not got a moral right to freedom of speech to tell you things as a Christian pastor that are outside the Word of God. I have not got that. That, the Bible says, is a, is a sin. Uh, Jesus summed it up. Matthew 12, he said this. Listen to these words of Jesus. These make me feel uncomfortable. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Let that sink in. And yes, friends. Your words include your social media and your Twitter and all of the other Instagram posts that you do. Jesus says, you'll be judged for every single one of them. Now, thirdly, I think Christians as a whole, at least Christians of my generation, when our freedom of speech is restricted, when we encounter council culture, we feel shocked and we often feel angry. Um, Steve McAlpine is a commentator, um, a very smart guy, a blogger and a commentator. And, and he says that sometimes Christians of my generation, maybe it's for those of you who are younger, it's not the same for you, I, I don't know, you can tell me. But we tend to, we, the Bible speaks about two different cities that it contrasts with each other. Well, there's three cities in the Bible, I don't speak about two of them. One of them it speaks about is the city of Athens. And so if you have... Um, if you read the, the book of Acts in particular, you'll know that Paul and the apostles show up in Athens and, they're, and, they're, and they've got this unknown God and, um, and they go, hey, we're going to tell you about the unknown God that you guys are worshipping. We're going to tell you about him. His name's Jesus. And the Athenians go like, this is really interesting stuff. Tell us more. And they have this debate and they want to know the information. And even if they disagree, they like the intellectual, intellectual you know, play and, and thrust and counter thrust. They're into knowledge. And that's the city of Athens. And in many ways, people of my generation, we grew up in Athens. So I did my undergraduate at UNSW, my postgraduate at Oxford. In both of those cases, that was the environment. 
You got your opinions? Wow. You know, and I mean, those are guys you've been at uni, especially arts degrees, you'll know some lectures are so boring, particularly political science lectures. And often in a lecture or sometimes in the tube group, you know, the guy next to you says, what are you doing on the weekend? I'm like, oh, I go to church. Why are you doing that? So, oh, because I believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, but you're a smart guy. How do you possibly believe in you know, yeah, and then, well, well, yeah, why don't you believe in Jesus? You know, much more interesting, whatever the lecture was on. And at the end, we go like, I think you're a nutcase. But let's go and have a Coopers together. You know, like that's that was the attitude. It was, I disagree with you, but you got your opinion. That's fine. Um, that's Athens. Steve McAlpine talks about the fact that there's another city in the Bible, and it's called Babylon. And sometimes God's people have not lived in Athens, they lived in Babylon. Babylon comes from the book of Daniel. And you know what Babylon was like? Nebuchadnezzar sets up this massive golden statue and says, yeah, you've got freedom. You've got freedom to worship this statue or you've got freedom to burn. And you can choose which which will it be. And in many ways, that, that sort of in most parts of our society, now it seems to me that Athens is gone and Babylon is here. No longer do we have the freedom to sort of go, oh, you think this, that's fine, I think this is. Now, um, Steve McAlpine published a book last year, I think it was, talks about being the bad guys, being a Christian in Australia, in, in our time. I'll quote him. He wrote this in 2017, right? And I think he's right. This is what he says. What we have learned the past few years, and it's only a few years is that secularism has bottomed out and lo and behold, it's bottomed out on the issue of sex. I think I'm going to start calling it secularism. And to that end, secularism is not the friend it seemed to be and which we as a minority in Australia at least assumed it always would be, allowing us to play marbles in the corner of the schoolyard. It's going to start playing rough, throwing its weight around and stealing lunch money. Put simply... Secularism is going to play the playground bully, and especially in the areas of sex. 2017, he's right. At least in Victoria, he's right. It's starting to play the bully. We're in Babylon, not Athens anymore. Sometimes free speech may not be free. It may be costly. It may result in you being cancelled. But fourthly and finally... This is not grounds for negativity or for pessimism. Um, We need to speak freely for truth. I can't believe that in this sermon I'm quoting J.K. Rowling twice, C.S. Lewis, zero. But J.K. Rowling, she says, and I agree with her, that to disagree with someone about a political issue is not automatically to be hateful or bigoted. She says that is morally and intellectually insipid. I agree with her. Jesus was the most loving person ever to have lived, but he had a habit of disagreeing with with people, sometimes in very strong terms. And he did that, not out of a motivation of hate, but out of a motivation of love. Um, There's an image here of a gentleman, which many of you will know, particularly probably up this this end of Australia, north, you know who that guy is? Yeah? Uh, He's he's copped a lot of flack about um, the issue of free speech, um, for those of you who don't know, he, he posted on social media a paraphrase uh, from the book of Romans listing homosexuality with a whole bunch of other sins as sins for which God will consign people to eternal punishment in hell. Now, 
Was he right? What do you think? There's, there's interesting responses, isn't there? Like, some are sort of nodding, some are shaking their heads. That's my response too, a nod and a shake. I shake the head because I don't think it was the wisest way to respond. It's on an issue of, like, homosexuality that is, is a flashpoint issue. Something in a social media post that's a few lines long, it's going to be very difficult to nuance that because the Bible speaks, it's not just a few verses on homosexuality, right? There's a whole scope Creating an image of God, love, you know, that Jesus loves people, whatever their sin might be, right? It's very hard in a post to say just one line, and I don't know if it was the wisest thing to do. But was he right in what he said? And did he have the right to do it? I think absolutely yes. He, he at least um, claims that he did that post out of love. And you know what, he's right, because I don't know, like, this is not some social club, right, where you show up here at the cinema on a Sunday and go like, isn't that cool, I get to hang out with a lot of other people just like me. What we are talking about in the Christian faith is life and death, right? We are talking about, and this is the Bible, it's not Andrew Grills' little picture of weird understanding of scriptures. The whole Bible and Christians have always believed that if you are not a Christian and you're here this morning, you are separated from God for all eternity. You are apart from his goodness and his love. And if you are here and you're some sort of half a Christian, that's you too, right? You're living in a world trying to save yourself and you will fail. You will fail. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says that God in his love sends Jesus into the world that you might come to know him and might be transformed and set free and forgiven and put on a destiny to heaven for all eternity. That's why it's good news. That's why it's freedom. And friends, this why this is not some sort of optional extra to your life. If you believe that, Israel Folau is right. If you really truly believe that, the most hateful and the most unloving thing that you could do to the person next to you in the class or at the water cooler at work or to the family member that, that you, you encounter is to not bother to tell them the truth about Jesus because you're worried that they're going to view it as hateful. If it's true, right, if this is life and death in those ways, you and I need to speak the truth. And yes, we can maybe do it better than Izzy did, right? But at least he had the guts to do it, didn't he? To stand up and to speak freely the truth. And what he said was true. And sometimes you and I, are in this world in which we live, and I'm guilty of this, we're so worried about what people will think of us that we don't speak the truth. And love. So, this has always been the way, you know. Being popular has never been really what being a Christianity was all about. Sometimes it has been popular to be a Christian. Not so long ago in Australia, it was socially advantageous. It's not like that now. When the gospel came into the Roman world, it, it wasn't popular. The authorities of the day, the Jewish authorities initially tried to stamp it out. They said, stop speaking about this. Zip up your lips. Stop it. Or going to be uh, there's going to be implications that will probably respond and you, end in you losing your death. The apostles responded, we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And the point that they were making is that not that we have a right to free speech 
But we have an obligation to speak the truth in love. And it's still true today. The obligation they had to speak the truth in love cost them their lives. All of the disciples bar one. All of them suffered. Most of them died. For the Christians in the generations that have followed since, speaking the truth in love, the obligation, not the right, the obligation is one that is costly. It's not free. It'll cost you. It is costing people around the world a lot more today than simply being cancelled, like in our context. It's costing people their lives. They have an obligation to speak the truth in love, not a right to free speech. But this is truly a great opportunity. I want to close by, by reading a quote from a historian called O'Donovan. This is, how, this is how he describes, listen to what he says about that church in the Roman world with their very costly obligation to speak the truth in love. But confronted with the community empowered by God's speech, force could extinguish speech only at the cost of investing it with a dignity of martyrdom. It proved impossible in the event for Roman society to refuse an answer to the word that was addressed to it with this kind of seriousness. Not a right to free speech, an obligation to speak the truth in love. Whatever the price, to speak of the living word, the alpha and the omega word. Paul says, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. If you're a Christian here, you've been saved by the wonderful grace of Jesus, by those words that were spoken by Jesus, were then transferred around the world by the apostles, and someone spoke them to you. And you and I need, in a world where, yes, we want the, the right for the freedom of speech, it's a good right, but much more we have the obligation to speak the truth in love so that others might hear this incredible good news about Jesus Christ. Until we each stand before that judgment seat of Christ, before the living word himself, and give an account. So I'm going to pray for us. Our musicians are going to come up. But I hope as you look at this, you just wouldn't hear a lecture that you'd see the beauty of Jesus Christ and the freedom of the gospel. So I'm going to pray. Father, this morning we, we thank you that we do live in a, in a country where we do have still such freedom of speech. Thank you that, that I can say these words here in a public place without fear. We thank you, Lord, um, that, that you have graced us with this. We thank you, Lord, that um, freedom of speech has been used to, in a wonderful way throughout the history of the church to allow others to hear the good news about your saving work and your son. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us now as those rights do seem to be eroded. Help us as we live in a world where it's now costly to speak the truth. Help us, Lord, um, to have the power of those early Christians to realize that there is a far greater thing than free speech. But there's a costly speech that, that really sent Jesus to die. There's a costly speech in which we follow in that footsteps until one day we stand before you. So Lord, would you give us boldness and courage 
And would you help us to think clearly about these things and navigate all the complexities that we face? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.